0: Good morning, Church. Well, I guess I'd be too upset that you've all preached my message this morning, but at least it, at least it tells me that um, do we need to go with the go with the handheld? That's no, no problem. Let me turn this off. Where'd it go? There it is. I can't walk around like that with this. Okay. (coughs) Uh, It tells me that we're all hearing from the Lord and we're all hearing the same word. And that's a good thing. You know, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This morning, would you bow your hearts and agree with me in this prayer, please? Father, we do come to you this morning knowing that you are a gracious God. And Father, we want to know you better and we want to believe you more, that we may be transformed from glory to glory to be more like Jesus. So this morning, Lord, may not just our hearts be open to what you have to say to us. I mean, our ears be open to what you have to say to us. But may our hearts embrace your words of love and encouragement. And may we be transformed to be more like Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of interesting. I was a little bit torn between teaching on grace, on a gracious God, and how to appropriate the results of that grace for ourselves. And since much of what I was going to say has been said, I think I'm free to do the other. So uh, we will start at the beginning and I'll probably uh, veer off a little bit here as we go down the, the uh, outline. I'm here to tell you this morning that we serve, that we have a gracious God. What does that mean? What is gracious? Well gracious comes from the root word of grace, and the Webster's New World Dictionary defines that as the unmerited love and favor of God towards human beings. In the Greek, the word is charis, and it's translated as favor, blessing, or kindness. And grace is God choosing to bless us even though we don't deserve it. And a gracious God is a God who, because he loves his creation so much, he chooses to bless us even though we don't deserve it. God is gracious. Otherwise, the light problems that we have as we walk through this life would be like weights we cannot bear because it would be so much worse if we received what we deserved instead of what God in his love wants for us and desires for us. Why can God be gracious? I like to think of grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. See, God is a just God, as Tom was going to tell us last week. And so he wants to be loving, but at the same time, he's righteous, he's holy, he's just. He has to temper everything. And so there had to be a penalty for our sins, a punishment for our sins. But God loved us so much that he chose to put that penalty on Jesus Christ, his begotten son, that he would suffer it in our place so that God, by his gracious nature, could extend grace to us, we who don't deserve it, because Christ, who did not deserve our punishment, took that in our place. That's why God can be gracious to us. I like um, I like John chapter one verse seventeen. It talks about the law in grace, and it go, reads as follows: For the law was given through Moses, but grace. And truth came through Jesus Christ. Now does that say that the law was not truth? I don't believe so. I think what it means is that the law portrayed part of the truth. The part that God has expectations for his creation. God expects us to behave and to relate to one another and to him in a specific way. And the law was given so that we would understand that there's no way that in our sinful nature that we can relate to one another and relate to God the way he created us to do. But grace not only acknowledges the law, but it acknowledges the truth of God's benevolence towards us whom he created in his image for fellowship with him. Why would God create anybody like himself? It's because he wanted somebody on his own level, somebody who could relate to him. He didn't want slaves. He didn't want a pet dog. He wanted a spiritual being who would choose to love him and obey him and spend time with him simply because they love him. As we already heard this morning, there's a difference between grace and mercy, and God is both gracious and merciful. In the Bible, grace and mercy are like two heads of the same coin. Mercy is God withholding judgment or evil that we deserve. And grace is God giving blessings for good that we do not deserve. When we experience grace, we receive favor that we do not deserve. The author of *Grace*, uh, the, the Grace of God, Andy Stanley, wrote this. He said, To say that someone deserves grace is a contradiction in terms. You can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. In the same way that planning voids the idea of surprise, so claiming to deserve voids the idea of grace. You can ask for it. You can plead for it. But the minute you think you deserve it, the it you think you deserve is no longer grace. It's something you have earned. So if I can't earn grace, and yet God is gracious, what, how does that grace affect my life? How does a gracious God affect my life? And like with everything in the kingdom of God, there's, there's God's part and my part. I saw a picture while I was preparing for this, I didn't include it in the PowerPoint, but it was the big hand of God reaching down and the little hand of man reaching up. God reaching down is extending His grace. Man reaching up is taking hold of that grace by faith. In the New Testament, In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For grace you have been saved through faith. What does that mean? Well, that means that God provided the gift. God provided redemption through Jesus Christ. But man has a part to do or to play, and that is is to take hold of that gift by grace. You know, we cannot receive what we don't believe. I can buy you a car. I can title it in your name. I can have the keys right here. And I can say, hey, I'm giving you this car. And if you don't believe that I would give you that car, it's never going to be yours because you will never take possession of it. It might be someone else's, yeah, but it won't be yours if you don't take possession of it. And it's the same way with God. God's gifts are by grace, but grace must be received through faith. Now, as we've said before, the word for salvation is the word sozo in the Greek, and it means total salvation. It just doesn't mean fire insurance so we don't go to hell. It means total salvation. It means whatever you have need of, God's grace is sufficient. It means that you can have whatever you need, and God is anxious for you to have it. But if you don't believe that God wants you to have it, if you don't believe that God is willing to give it to you, has already given it to you, you won't take hold of it. You won't possess it. Grace is a free gift. But just like any gift, you go to a birthday party, you have gifts, If whoever the gift is for doesn't open the gift, doesn't take possession of the gift, it doesn't seem like a gift to them. So it is that the same way we receive the gift of redemption, we receive the gift of healing and the gift of provision and the gift of sanctified living and every other gift that Jesus died to give us Wouldn't you like to know how to say no to sin every single time? I would. I would love to walk spotless and pure before the Lord. Some people would say it's impossible because we still have a sin nature. But I want to point this out to you. And the answer is in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age but it's grace only grace that enables us to do that Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will take that stony will that's within you to do your own thing, to live your own way. I will pluck that out of you. And I will give you a heart of flesh that has compassion like God has compassion that is going to cause you to be able to respond to God's love and out of that love and value for him to be able to choose to bless him rather than please yourself. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, many places, but 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old, new things, all things have become new. Did I have an old nature? Yes, I did. Do I still have an old nature? That depends on what I choose to believe. And this is, I'm not talking about truth is whatever I want it to be. The Bible says my old nature was crucified and buried with Christ. And that I was raised with Christ in newness of life. So now my new nature, it's natural for me with my heart of flesh to live pleasing to God without it being a struggle because my old nature is dead. So then what is the struggle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven and the beginning of chapter eight? What a wretched man I am. How will I ever escape this sinful nature? Praise God, it's already been done in Jesus Christ. It's grace. God gives us that new heart, that new nature, that ability To walk pleasing to him. And to do the things that he has put us here to do. But just like Paul, who by the way was somewhere between 17 and 19 years into his ministry before he wrote this. Talked about this struggle. It's what you choose to believe. Because the devil... He doesn't want you to believe you have a new nature. He doesn't want you to believe you can do the works that Christ did and greater works than those. He doesn't want you to believe that you can walk in the Spirit. He doesn't want you to believe that you can please God. He doesn't want you to believe that God loves you, that God wants to bless you. And so there's always that inner voice telling us we can't do it. But grace says, we have the ability to choose. And I can choose what I want to believe. Part of the problem for me is I need to be aware of what voice is talking in my head. You know, because if I don't recognize that the voice that's telling me I'm not who I am, but who I was, who's dead, then I'm not gonna make the right choice. But when I recognize it's that old liar, Satan, and I choose to believe what God says instead of what that voice is saying, it is easy to make the right choice. Now, sometimes I have to tell him, well, actually I have to tell me more than once. Because the problem is is if I don't really believe that I'm a new nature, if I don't really believe that God is going to empower me to overcome temptation, if I don't really believe what the Bible says about me, I won't take hold of it. If I don't really believe that God will heal me, I won't take hold of it. But God said, by by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. That's a past statement. So it's nothing more God needs to do. He's done it. It's just what I need to do. Believe it. If I believe it, I'll take hold of it. If I don't believe God is a gracious God, if I don't believe that's his nature, his character, I will have a hard time believing I'm a new creature and that he wants to bless me. 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul writes, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot. Deny himself. I know a man that was a soldier in the, in the army. That's where soldiers are. And uh, he's been in a... He, it was a career, and he's been in a number of, uh, quote-unquote, wars, battles, whatever. And he has been responsible for the death of many, peop, many men. And when I've talked to him, he has said... God, how can God forgive me for murdering so many people? He doesn't understand how much God loves him. And he doesn't understand how faithful God is, even if he wasn't faithful. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's a difference between killing and murder. And I think the Bible and the Ten Commandments makes a distinction in that. But it, it doesn't matter if I think they're the same, then I'm not going to believe that God can forgive me. It's what we choose to believe. Do we believe God or do we believe the world? Do we believe the doctors? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe what someone else says to us? Do we believe what God says to us? It's all in believing. And I could have come in here this morning, I could try to make a case that God is a gracious God, but you know, we all know that. If he wasn't gracious, Jesus would have never died for our sins. But life doesn't end there, and grace doesn't end there. God has so much for us to do. He has so much to transform us so that we can accomplish his wonderful plan for us, each of us. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. And in the in, in the Hebrew that's lively hope. In Luke thirteen, thirty-four, Jesus is talking and he says of his chosen nation, his chosen people, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. How I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. You were not willing to believe that I wanted to bless you. That I wanted to make you the greatest nation on earth. That you are my people. 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work you see it's not your works that make you good it's not your works that get you God's favor it's God's favor that allows you to do godly works sometimes we get that backwards Never, ever confuse that. Never forget that no matter what you've done, God can't help himself. He's still faithful to you. That's why when we sin and we confess our sins, he takes every sin and separates it from us, from him as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. I was talking to somebody this morning and I said... God doesn't remember yesterday. Maybe we shouldn't either. Today's a new day. And you're a new creation in Christ. And God's will and plan for you has not changed. He created you to be something very, someone very special. He created you to be his son and or daughter, the heir of his kingdom, his ambassador here on earth. Could he not have let the angels do the work? Sure he could, but because he created us in his image, he wants us to participate In his work, he wants us to have those blessings. And all we have to do is believe that God is for us and nobody can be against us. I'd like for just a minute to look at the uh, parable of the prodigal son. We're not going to read it. You all know it, right? I just want to tell you, uh, uh, look at some things, some characteristics of grace that we see in that parable. And the first one is we see that God's grace sees us. Remember the father? He says, it says, when he saw his son a far way off, he saw him. Or while his son was still far way off, he saw him. You know, he wouldn't have seen him a far way off if he wasn't looking for him. I don't know how many days or months or years the son was gone, but I kind of get the feeling that every day the father is standing out there looking down the road. Every time he walked past the, the, the driveway of his house, he's looking down the road. He's longing. He's longing for his son to come home so he can bless him and that's the second thing we see is that God's grace embraces us you know the son was working in the pig pigsties, feeding the pigs slopping the pigs I don't know if you've ever been around pigs they don't smell too good and so after doing that the son decides I'm gonna go home now it doesn't tell us but I don't know that he took a shower or changed his clothes he probably didn't have clothes to change into I would think if he didn't have food to eat. So he walks through the heat of the day to go back home. I don't think he smelled very good when he got there. And what does the parable tell us? It tells us that the father immediately embraced him. He didn't care about the smell or the mess. All he knew is his son had come home that's all that mattered, and God's grace restores us. What's the first thing the father did, or the prodigal father did? He put clean clothes on him. He gave him a signet ring. Everybody know what a signet ring is? That's what you seal. It's like your signature. It's what they would seal in wax, the official documents. So even though the son squandered everything that his father gave him, he squandered his inheritance, his father gives him the signet ring and says, well, what I got left is is yours. So like God puts robes of white righteousness on us when we come to him, he restores us to our place as his children, his heirs, his Ambassadors. And then God celebrates us. So what's the first, second thing the father does after he gives his son a, a clean clothes and a ring? He has a party. Kill the fatted calf. Or, and, and, and let's have, we're going to celebrate because he who was lost is found. God celebrates over you. Look at Zephaniah chapter... Um, 3 verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God's so happy about you, he sings over you. I don't usually sing when I'm sad, but I do sing when I'm happy. You may not want to hear me sing when I'm happy, but I do tend to sing when I'm happy. So how do we walk in God's grace? Which is another way of saying how do we take hold of God's grace? The first thing I would do is encourage you to remember that God's grace is God's idea. It's who he is. We don't have to coerce him to be gracious. He loves to be gracious to us. And secondly, we can ask. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you, seek you will find, knock and it will be open to you. God is more willing to extend his grace to you than you are to receive. ask for it or receive it. Third thing is remember the cross. The cross is what makes it all possible. Jesus taking our punishment on himself so that we can stand righteous before God. Whenever you feel unworthy, look at the cross. Whenever you feel proud, look at the cross. Which leads to James chapter 4 verse 6. Be humble. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Receive forgiveness. Trust God's grace by forgiving yourself after God has forgiven you. When you've gone back to God and said, I messed it up again, Lord, I, I did what I wanted instead of what you wanted, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and with your help, I'm going to make better decisions. I'm going to listen to the right voice next time. Forgive yourself. because it's really hard to believe that God is pleased with you if you're not pleased with yourself. And at least finally for this morning, extend grace to others. You know, when I've wronged my wife, it's really, <laughs> it's really nice to receive grace. But if she ever wrongs me, not that she ever does, but if she would ever wrong me, To expect me to extend that grace to her, that's another story, isn't it? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be, but oft times it is. You serve a gracious God, you're created in his image, that means you're a gracious saint. And that means whether they deserve forgiveness or not, we choose to forgive and not just forgive, but to restore and to love, because that's what God does. He forgives us, he restores us, and he loves us. So it's not enough to say, well, okay, all right, I'll forgive you, God, don't hold this against him anymore, but I never want to see you again, get out of my life. No, that's not grace. Grace is I forgive you, and I love you, and because I do, I'm going to give you another opportunity to offend me again. So, in conclusion, the offer of grace is made possible by Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us. For grace to be ours, we must accept it. When we believe the truth of what God says about us, we accept his grace. And grace gives us freedom to be who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are a gracious God, We thank you, Father, that because you're gracious, you love us and you want only the best for us. And this morning we want to be like you. We want to be gracious Christians, little Christs. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to have the fullness of your spirit so that we may do the things that Jesus did and fulfill your plan for the gospel on this earth. But Lord, it has to start with loving you. And so this morning we declare, Father, that we love you. And not only do we love you, but we love you so much that we choose to believe what you say is true. And because we believe what is true, we rejoice. We rejoice that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, help us to find the silver lining in every black cloud. Help us to find your grace in every situation. Have your way in our lives. Transform us to be more like you, we pray, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.